with how fast the technology is advancing today, I mean, who knows what the creative landscape is going to look like in 10, 20 years from now? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, you know, there's links to, you know, what we do with, you know, with toys and VR. There's... Um... You'd appreciate toys more, right? Because right now there's too too easy access to everything, I think. I, I don't want to live in your world, Nathan. I know. It's a sinister <laughs> world, Nathan. <laughs> uh, now, I would say just keep it off Facebook until it be, until it's necessary, like, or social media, just because I hate those posts where people don't say what they're talking about. Like, I hate when people, like, if you're not going to do, if you're not going to name the name, then just shut up. Hey, Toy Family! Welcome to another edition of the Marsham Toy Hour, where we discuss anything and everything designer toys. I'm Gary Ham. I'm George Gaspar. And uh, George Teresa is not joining us today. Boo! It's her birthday. It was her birthday, but you know what? Last recording, she mentioned that she was going to start an anti-Gary Ham club, so I had to boot her. Nice. It's well, so... I'll say happy birthday to her then, anyway. <laughs> happy no. birthday, Teresa. In, in fact, I was going to mention this when all three of us were on, but this is our 97th episode. So we have just three episodes left until our 100th episode. And then Holy after God. that, I think that's going to end the podcast. It'll never end. Oh, George. <laughs> Don't you think 100 a good, just a good round number to end it on? Nope. <laughs> Thousand or nothing. All right. That was my April Fool's, but you didn't bite. <laughs> I could never believe you would end this thing. Come on. No matter how much you hate it, you'll always do do it. (laughs) It gives me something to bitch about and something to be productive on every week. So there you go. It's not just you and I tonight, George. So rejoining us, um, gosh, this guy, he was on probably a year and a half ago. Nathan Urevichis is going to join us again tonight. Um, Anyone who's not familiar, Nathan's an amazing designer. He's he's, um, the man behind Scary Girl, which is, I think, believe is... Currently in production for a feature film, correct, Nathan? Uh, yes, actually, we're we're in the uh, we're in the contracting stage now, which is taking months, and uh, I mean, sort of frustrating, but not too bad because uh, we're also in tandem working on a big uh, virtual reality game right now. So that's what I'm I'm just taking a break from that at the moment and uh, talking to you guys while the rest of the team gets some food and does more layout on the, uh, the- <laughs> well i appreciate it. I, I was telling george i, I literally just contacted you this morning because we were going to talk about the uh, the ikea art event that you took part in and i figured hey i'll just reach out to nathan see if he wants to come on and you were uh, more than willing so thanks for coming on on short such short notice yeah not yeah it's it's uh, my pleasure i uh, i really enjoyed last time and you know why not why not keep chatting to Gary? You know? <laughs> you know, I took some serious crap from last time you were on. A lot of people were uh, saying I had a definite man crush going on with you. <laughs> yeah, actually, that was it was funny. I was I was going to bring that up, but I thought <laughs> uh, you know, maybe everyone forgot about it. But yeah, I, I mean, you know, I think it's good to have a man crush. You know, it shows that you're nice. You're a good rounded, you know, person. You can hey. you can uh, appreciate all different genders. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm progressive like that, Nathan, and. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm man enough to, you know, acknowledge a handsome man when I see one. And uh, maybe I laid down a little thick, but we had fun that day. Yeah. And, and I got to say, I wasn't on the last time you were on. And it was so nice to finally hear how to say you revages. Because after 10 years of doing Toy Break and talking about your art and your toys and all of your things and not ever knowing how to say it and just saying stuff like Nathan J or trying to stumble through something, 
it was awesome to finally get Eurevigus and be able to say it. I think it's one of my favorite words now. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, very nice. Yeah, it's a. It's been such a sort of a thing where I've just accepted everyone pronouncing it wrong. But uh, yeah, you know, it's good to get the word out there that it's a you know a good hardy Lithuanian word, which apparently means by the sea. But I I actually don't speak Lithuanian and. Uh, <laughs> So actually, Nathan, last time you were on, let's see, it was the day after Trump was announced as having winning the election, um, which is why George wasn't with us that week because he was celebrating. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. I don't remember. But it was actually the weekend before DesignerCon 2016, and you're telling me that you couldn't attend that event because you were off to a small town in Sweden. And now I feel like I know why you were going to Sweden. Was it to go to the Malaris Glassworks out there in Sweden? Yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it was meeting uh, meeting up with that amazing um, glass factory and uh, also with IKEA. Yeah. So in the past couple of weeks, I've actually been seeing people post pictures of the glass figurines they picked up from yourself and the several other artists that took place in the uh, IKEA 2018 art event. And for those who don't know, it's IKEA's uh, fourth annual art event that they'd be hosting. And this year they decided to invite several um, contemporary artists to work in uh, the glass medium, many of which have never worked in glass before. Um, they all produced these really great figurines for IKEA. And the event was actually supposed to take place in April throughout the world at all IKEAs. But I guess several IKEA stores decided to release the glass uh, crystal figurines early. And that's why we've been seeing on Instagram and stuff the past couple of weeks. But how was that experience for you, Nathan? Yeah, I mean, it was, it, as you, it was probably one of my most favorite collaborations that I've done. It was an, sort of one of those things where, you know, you get the email from uh, uh, from Ikea and um, it's like, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're doing this project and, um, you know, I don't know if you're interested, but would you like to work with us? And I'm kind of like, you know, instantly, yes. I, I <laughs> You know, it's like uh, I've always wanted to work in in mediums that I haven't uh, tried before, sure. and uh, I mean the glass. You know, working in glass was such a um, so addictive, and it's so such an interesting process as well. Because my you know my dad's a potter, um, so I've done a lot of sort of clay, and I've you know used kilns before and um, organic objects. But glass is is a really really interesting, really unusual, really beautiful uh, material to to um, see your uh, objects in. Now, we always talk about on the show, like the um, the limitations of working in vinyl and you have to deal with only what the factories can do and undercuts and, you know, air bubbles and that sort of thing. But I would imagine that designing something for glass would have way more limitations. You probably can't do much as far as undercuts and, and stuff like that. So when you were designing for the glass figuring, like how many... Did you just knock it out of the park on your first attempt or how many different designs did you go through before it actually worked for the glass manufacturing process? Yeah, that was that was a kind of a, uh, an interesting experience because all of us because uh, it wasn't just me, there was a there was a, a handful of other artists that were um, involved in this uh, group mm -hmm. um, of uh, glass objects and um all of us, I think, initially went, "Okay, we're just going to do whatever we want." And then um because it was sort of a I suppose it was a bit of a work in progress and experiment even for IKEA because, you know, they've done tons of things in glass, but they actually haven't really worked as in um, kind of glass objects. Okay. Even for them, the initial kind of restrictions, uh, they were a little bit unaware of, and it was the glass company you know, talking to us and saying, hey, you know, this is what you need to do uh, in order to kind of make certain um, objects work. 
for me, I was experimenting with two different options. One was a blown glass and the other one was cast glass into molds. Okay. Um, the, the blown glass, the way that we were doing it, had a lot more restrictions because there's a um, you have to pull the, the glass once it's blown um, out of a mold. We, we were actually blowing it into molds. We weren't doing kind of like freeform glass. It was uh, being blown to the shape of a, an owl. Mm-hmm. And um, you have to make sure that the, the actual object itself, you can actually get the glass to actually reach the edges of the mold. So there's a lot of effort in trying to, you know, in like you're blowing it and it's you've got to get kind of the the kind of the molten glass to kind of hit the edges and then you've got to um when it comes out of the mold it's got to be like a there's like a, a central seam that it's got to come out of like it can't be in a regular kind of shape because so, it doesn't open out of the mold well and um yeah so there was sort of certain restrictions on where the center line of the uh, the object would be and so you know i've had like these owl ears that you know would have been normally um you know easy and kind of you know clay or in vinyl, whereas in glass, it had to actually line up a certain way, and uh, that sort of restricted the way that the uh, the glass object could be. Okay. Yeah, and there's lots of other things, you know, um, you know how big the objects could be, how much, um, you know, how many kind of colours you could add, you know, whether you wanted to be sandblasted or hand painted or all, you know, all these things. Um, it gave us a lot of options, but it also meant that we had certain limitations on. Um, and just how detailed certain things are. Sure. How art directed were you on it? I noticed they're all different colors. Like I think there's, oh, I'm not sure how many different artists, but there was um, Arkiv Vilmansa, Course, James Jarvis, Joe Ledbetter, Junko Mizuno, Ludwig Lofgren, Michael Lau, and uh, yourself. So did you guys all have to coordinate on what colors you wanted it to end up being? Did you all have to choose a different color and stuff like that? No, actually, at the start, it was very much. I mean, what I liked about working with IKEA is that initially it's kind of like just come up with something. And so you sort of come up with these, you know, really unusual ideas and then it kind of gets more art director after that. But there was this perception um, from the, the art director that initially contacted us that we would do something that was relatively iconic to what we'd done in the past. So, you know, if you were... You know, if, if you did something that represented your work, it was better to sort of focus on that. So for me, you know, I'd been doing lots and lots of our projects and they were kind of guiding me into kind of we'd really like something that's our related. Uh, my initial idea was a little bit more sort of an abstract kind of totemy sculpture type of thing. And uh, I thought it was really cool, but technically it wasn't feasible. And as far as an iconic image for me, it wasn't probably iconic enough of what i'd you know done as a as an owl kind of um enthusiast yeah i I think doing the owl was probably the best reputation of you for sure and i think joe ledbetter i think i might have read that he also had the same initial process like he might have designed something initially that maybe wasn't iconically him but in the end he ended up going with uh the mr bunny but i don't remember maybe it wasn't him yeah and it's, it's funny i think one of my first ones was sort of a uh, almost like a bunny guru type of character, but I hadn't seen anything that Joe had been doing. I, I didn't actually know what anyone was doing, and uh, it was only a, it was a mystery until we all met up with each other, and uh, it was like, oh wow, you're doing that. But behind the scenes, obviously, the art director uh, uh, Henrik was, uh, you know, carefully art directing everything and going, you know, this piece probably needs to be a bit smaller so it fits with the group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it can't we can't have like two kind of rabbit looking objects you know, is this iconic enough based on this uh, artist's work? So, I mean, he was kind of 
very carefully behind the scenes, really trying to get something art directed as a group. My probably my the first owl that I made, um, which actually uh, I actually offered as a limited edition uh, blown glass owl. Um, mm-hmm. That was so that was actually offered uh, at the end of last year, and I did thirty of those uh, ones. They actually it's a different one to the IKEA one, but it was the original uh, IKEA owl. But we decided that it. Uh, didn't really fully fit with the the rest of the glass objects by the other artists. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, the, and that's why I did the, uh, moved on to the other design. Yeah, I actually do remember seeing that one. It was very similar in appearance to the one that actually got produced, but the one that ended up in Ikea is slightly taller with some stylistic differences, but they were both green, I think. Um, so that first one, that was the one that ended up being blown glass, the one that we saw a lot of photos of you kind of blowing into the mold, and the one that actually ended up get, getting a release. Was that, was that a... Um, a blown glass molded one too? Well, the, the initial ones that I did were blown glass and then the, the final one is actually a two-piece poured glass object. So uh, I think with Joe's, it's a it's like a half mold and okay. mine a uh, 360 mold. So it's done in two halves and then and then joined together. So you, there's like a, you'll see like a seam. I um, watch but- a lot of YouTube videos on this glass manufacturing. I mean, it's, it's quite the extensive process and it's amazing that Ikea is selling these for $30 each per figurine? Yes, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. When I actually watch the videos and see probably how time-consuming, and it looks quite expensive, actually. So for them to be, you know, Ikea is you know, known for affordable pricing, but I wasn't expecting them to be 30 I thought maybe they'd be around $60 price range. Yeah, and they're, they're really solid and, and um, substantial in its uh, when you feel them. They're not... They're not light at all. They're, they're like a really heavy kind of beautiful object. It's and it's kind of pretty large like, too. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone was expecting them to be like three inches tall, and then when uh, when they arrived, they range more from like six, seven inches in some cases, and uh, they weigh a ton because, like mine, for instance, is you know two solid pieces of glass that are that are put together, and so you know it's. I mean, I can't even think of how heavy it is. Probably heavy <laughs> as as an older. Uh, you know, brick phone back in the the 80s or whatever. Um. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually tried to go to Ikea and see what they look like, but my Ikea didn't have them on display yet. So I think they're actually waiting until April. So I'll probably head over um, on Monday when this releases. I'll probably head over during lunch and check them out. Because I really want to see them in person. I've seen a lot of them on social media and stuff, but I don't know that the, um, the photography is giving it the best representation of what they'll look like in person. Um, so, yeah, I want to check them out. Yeah, because what's interesting is Ikea has um, – um, even though they are offered worldwide, um, they're limiting the amount of stock per store to, I think, 30, 30 pieces. So, oh, wow. yeah, so I think 30 pieces for each artist, I think, is the is the uh, case. So, yeah, different locations will sell out quicker depending on, you know, if an artist is local or not. Uh, I think uh, from what I understand in Burbank, most of them might have sold out already in the Burbank location um that sucks because ben told me about ben picked them up like a week ago and i was like oh i'll go next time i'm there figuring they were going to have them for a while but if it was if it's a week ago and there's only 30 they're gone like there's no way for me to get that now (laughs) yeah that burbank store is the one near me yeah i mean the only thing that they may do is if if a store probably say if a store is a you know further out they might see if they can you know snap yeah snap up some of their stock or whatever and bring them over to other stores depending on which ones are more popular but I mean, they haven't even been offered internationally yet, or maybe they just were offered internationally in some uh, locations. But I, th- I think that'd be a bit of an eye opener for a lot of um, people who normally go to IKEA and haven't seen this type of yeah. work in the past. Because a lot of times, you know, it's 
either material or works on paper, but this is the first time they've really done something that, you know, is really substantial, is actually a great object to have in your house or in your studio or whatever, and it doesn't feel like a throwaway item, like a lot of stuff can can come across as. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think in the past the art events have always been like a printed piece of work, and it's not always on the you know the highest quality paper and stuff like that. And you might go back a couple months later, and you know the pieces are in the bargain bins and stuff. So I think this is a really great approach, and it's a high end and a great looking, beautiful piece to now have the art event in a a three D uh, a world. It's gonna be I mean especially with going glass, it's gonna be gorgeous. And what also what I think is really interesting and really cool is that they use artists who aren't familiar with the glass medium so i think they're going to be it's probably actually going to surprise you know glass collectors out there as well that your approach to the designs for glass are probably going to be a, a very unique and also might push the the glass makers out there into a new world of how they can uh, work with the medium yeah exactly yeah and i think a lot of us started to get a little bit addicted to the idea of um you know we could start making things in glass because uh you know, uh, like Joe and James Jarvis and I were uh, flown to um, Sweden and we um, actually got to have hands-on experience, you know, in blowing the glass and looking at how, you know, sandblasting happens, how, you know, glass is poured and glazes and all this sort of stuff that, you know, I hadn't really fully seen. And I think we're all of us were kind of after that experience of really, you know, sitting down with, uh, you know, the, the glass makers. Because it's all very – it's not like a big – you know, factory that looks really impersonal. Like it's a real kind of, um, you know, I mean, it's big, but it's, it feels like a sort of almost like a family. Um, and they really, you know, took us by the hand and kind of led us through the process, um, mm-hmm. helped us understand what we could do. And, you know, I love that companies now can actually start uh, introducing artists into mediums that they're not used to. Um, yeah. And this is, this is a great example of it. That's great. I mean, you mentioned the art director on this for Ikea was Henrik. I think I read up his, his name was Henrik most. And so great job on him for selecting the artist that he did for this. And do you know, is he a collector of designer toys himself? I mean, do you know if he owns your works and the works of others within his own personal collections? Um, he, I think he knew about, um, knew about the sort of the designer toy world. Um, from what I understand, um, uh, I'm not sure if he has a, a major collection of toys, but he, he knew about the the scene. Okay. I mean, I would assume he does because he probably owns a few pieces of the artists that are definitely in the series, I would think. And I wonder if how familiar he is with the designer toys. And I imagine he probably is going to be aware that a lot of these are probably just going to end up being flipper bait and gobbled up based on that. Um, but I don't think that probably comes into a factor in play when he's deciding on the artist. But, I mean, what do you think? Do you think, George, a lot of this is going to become flipper bait? Oh, I'm already looking on eBay right now to see. Um, there, yeah, yeah, but, like it's already <laughs> it's already up there like crazy. Oh man! Well, I'm in Phoenix, George. I don't think we have that many. We're we're not like Burbank, where it's just a humongous art creative community. It's a little bit smaller. I don't know how many, you know, collectors and stuff. So if there's any that you want, I probably have a better chance of getting it here in Phoenix that you do in Burbank. So if there's any that you want, let me know and I'll pick it up. All right, cool. I'll check locally and then I'll let you know. I got to check before we release this episode, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a mad rush on Monday, so I better, I'm going to be fighting people off. Um, but, George, do you understand the molding process that, that Nathan was describing? Have, have you ever experienced it or seen it before? You know, I, I've i actually been to, like, a couple glassblowing studios. Like, uh, I, I was in Vermont, and uh, they have there's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes on up there. And 
I've, I've always loved that or just watching that process and like just seeing what people can do mixing, you know, colored glass. And it's more of a, it's a lot more like blowing glass and like, uh, mm-hmm. free form shapes in, in that kind of place, like in Vermont where they're making like, you know, bells and things like that. But, uh, I just, I, I love seeing that. I love seeing, I've seen the molds for, um, there's for some like glasses and things like that, like, uh, you know, drinking glasses and things like that. And I'm sure it's pretty similar to the same, the same kind of idea that you would get for making the owl even where it's like a, you know, you have to make sure there's no undercut. There's no thing that's going to snap on the mold or, or catch, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. so I, I can, I can imagine, you know, I'm, and I'm looking at the pictures that are online of this, uh, even just at the Ikea blog, they have a couple pictures of the mold and thing like that. Yeah. So, it's uh yeah, it's pretty cool to see that this is so many of the objects that are in the designer toy scene end up becoming like a home decor item anyway. Like it, like especially the larger things like these where it's like it sits on a shelf and most people will use it as an accent object in their house or like, you know, something that's you know, sitting on their shelf that's a, a nice in a in a nice way, not just like cluttered up like all my shelves are. <laughs> So it's cool to see this kind of thing that could reach like people that aren't collectors of this kind of stuff where they could some guy that's just randomly going to Ikea, some family and they see this and they just want to have this on their shelf. I think that's it's kind of great because then if your name's on the box, they end up going back, looking it up and then maybe get into some of these other, you know, vinyl, you know, vinyl toys that are out there. Yeah, so I my, think this, is, this could be a really cool thing to bring new people into this scene. Oh, definitely. I'm all age groups too because my stepmom, she would never put a you know, vinyl toy on her shelf at home. She's got a very classy house, but she, I, I could totally see her putting, uh, you know, Nathan's Palata on the shelf or something like that. So it's, it, I think it would just reach all age groups as well. And it could open her up, you know, into the idea that, that, that vinyl thing isn't really a toy. It is also an art, you know, an art object that you could put on your shelf and not be ashamed of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'll, I agree. I, before I was like, I don't know if I want glass because I don't collect glass, and I've always said that I never really cared for clear and transparent stuff. But uh, now I actually want to go see these in person. I'm, I'm sure I'll probably end up picking up a couple. Yeah, what what I what I love about sort of I think the glass, as opposed to say maybe some transparent materials, is that there's a um, the way it reflects and actually changes color mm-hmm. at times of the day is something that. I hadn't really experienced before in kind of the plastics that I'd used if I'd ever had any, you know, transparency um, in it before. It's a, it's got a really um, unique way of um, reflecting light and color, and that's also in the way that, say, particularly say with the uh, the owl that I've done, it's actually a clear, it's a clear object, and only the back is um, colored. Okay. But the back then is heated, and the the color kind of infuses into the back of the object. And so if you um, – it looks green, but it's not actually green glass. Um, and that creates more of a unique effect to the actual object itself because you're, you're not – it's not fully like a – if you've got green glass, it wouldn't be as transparent um, and it wouldn't reflect colours the same way. And so this is a really nice technique where it kind of disperses a sprayed colour um, behind and um, gives you sort of unique a unique look that – you know, at different times of the day will make the greens look different um, okay. as well. So, yeah, it's a really, it's just a really interesting technique and it's something that I'd like to experiment more with in the future. 
That's awesome. That also explains why on social media I was seeing so many different shades of the green. I thought it maybe it was colored glass, but hearing you explain that makes that's actually really cool. Yeah, totally. Okay, so well, let's move on to talking about more other Nathan things. But before we do that, let's take a break and hear from well anyone who's been missing Teresa. Here's some words for the birthday girl. All right, let's take a break and mention some of our awesome sponsors. If you're looking for some designer toys to purchase, we've got some great stores for you. Check out 3dretro.com and strangecattoys.com. If you go to Strange Cat Toys, you'll receive 10% off if you use promo code DOPE at checkout. Um, And if you're looking for some awesome designer toy news, we've got two awesome blogs to check out, spankystokes.com and thetoychronicle.com. And uh, Toy Chronicle also has a sweet app, so search Toy Chronicle on the Apple Store or Google Play uh, and give that a download. Okay, so Nathan, you're Australian, and I assume that you grew up most of your life in Australia, then, yeah? I did, yeah. I was, uh, what was I, 30, 30 years in Australia, and then uh, I just went out and did my most Australian accent just then. Okay. Um, and, then uh, and then 15 years in Canada. So... so- yeah. Did they have Toys R Us in Australia? Were you a Toys R Us kid growing up? Yeah, I mean, I knew what Toys R Us were, but I don't think my – we had something else. We had another brand uh, that was kind of like the budget version of Toys R Us in Australia, but I can't even remember what the store was called. But it was like a sort of, you know, toy – I don't know, like toy barn or some sort of <laughs> weird, weird right. thing. Uh, yeah, and it was kind of uh, – you know, I suppose it was like a Toys R Us, um, but I, I was never really a Toys R Us guy because we, I grew up in sort of more small towns. So a lot of the toys that I had, I suppose, were um, like at local kind of stores. So we had a lot of those, you know, where you know, on one st- side of the wall you could buy, you know, get your keys cut. And then the other side was, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of strange plastic toys in boxes that, you know, were half yeah. opened. Right, yeah. right. That doesn't sound too shabby though either, but no, right? Yeah, yeah. You didn't know any better, so you're kind of like, oh wow, let's go to the, the whatever the corner store and you know, I'll, I'll buy a pack of gum and, uh, <laughs> you know, some you know a strange uh, kind of I don't know GI Joe looking figure, but it wasn't actually GI Joe. You know? Right, right. So you, you've heard that all the Toys R Us stores are now closing, right? Yeah, yeah. I I haven't really gone into exactly why but it looked like there were some bad decisions made in on the business level yeah. well yeah they did something wrong because every time i went to my local you know toys R Us, it was like a just a barren wasteland i was one of the few people in there and there's only one cash register the parking lot was empty i mean was it the same for you george out in burbank oh yeah for sure it's it was if there was anybody it seemed like there was really never anybody shopping until you're ready to check out. And then there was 16 people in front of you and one cashier. <laughs> always. I, I don't know how that ever, how that always worked that way, but that's always the Joe, way it was. It was always like that every time I went to a Toys R Us. And, you know, the funny thing about it too is, so Nathan, all those stores are being liquidated this week. And so I drove to my three local stores that were near me and thinking that I'm going to get some sort of deal. So I walk in and the place is absolutely destroyed. There's tons of people like toys toppled over. People have carts full. There's tons of lines at the cashier. Something. Wow, there's gonna be some good deals. But there weren't like the initial weeks of the liquidation sale. Like the pricing was only like five to maybe twenty percent off most of the items. And then I don't like toy pricing, so I'm looking at the pricing. I'm like, these these are still more expensive than what I can get at a Walmart or a Target. So both in all locations, I walked out empty-handed. Yeah, that's why it almost would make sense that um, 
maybe a new business model for uh, Toys R Us is uh, they just create pop-up stores now and then. It's like a Toys R Us, you know, opens, you know, once every three months and it's like, you know, five to 10% off, you know, all their toys and then just closes down, you know, uh, two weeks later and then opens up again, you know, three to six months. It's kind of a, I don't That's know. A great idea. I, I like pop-up stores because they, it feels like it's special and I'll never see this again. And, uh, you know, why not, why not try it? I like that idea, actually. Yeah, like big corporations, you know, could start, you know, because they're using, you know, a lot of big corporations uh, go to kind of the indie scene to kind of get inspiration. You know, why not try try some uh, tactics that have worked for, you know, smaller smaller businesses? Mm-hmm. Now, how much effect, George or Nathan, do you think this is going to have on the entire toy industry as a whole? Well, I mean, I was reading the there's a a thing called the Toy Report that comes out for industry, like toy industry uh, folks. Yeah. And they're they were saying it was not 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 great things for sure. That was like uh, I think it was uh, both Mattel and Hasbro stocks were down. Um, and then they were saying that because Toys R Us is about 20 percent of the toy industry, that it's going to it's basically going to dip um, and not even be able to recover at some, like, you know, not even be able to recover and at least a 10% dip in, in overall, like everything. Wow. So it's, it's not, it's not great. I mean, especially for the U S market, there's no, you know, where, what's left. I mean, target has a, has a limited amount of things. Walmart is like down to like half an aisle basically for toys. Yeah. Um, there's really just, you know, what's what's left where do you go to get all this stuff now what are what are all these brands going to do and then what happened to what about all those companies that had all their stuff in toys r us are they out now are they just out of all that money that they because you know they put all that product in there that's now being liquidated they didn't get paid for that yeah probably yeah no i heard that some vendors were not being paid by toys r us and i'm sure there's instances where companies or even maybe some startups got some large purchase orders from toys r us and that stuff is currently being manufactured that they're not going to get paid on and then where do they sell it i mean that could put a lot of little guys out i mean completely there's there's guys who probably just have you know they probably have toys r us maybe a small walmart and maybe a target or something like that you know accounts things like that oh yeah and if you're if toys r us was your main account you're screwed oh yeah can you yeah you know go ahead nathan go ahead i was just wondering do you think it'll actually open up uh you know the sort of the the mar and park type stores again you know in the like the old days where you know you did have local you know locally run small toy things that had more specialty toys in it I mean, I think from what I heard, it's just going to, it's Amazon basically. Like yeah. there's no, there's basically no reason to, I guess with, with rent and all the the prices that you need to pay for opening an actual location, like yeah. I, I don't think you can compete with Amazon. Yeah. Do you think, um, do you think, uh, maybe Hasbro and Mattel might have their own kind of branded toy stores? Well, Mattel has a, has a couple, I think, or at least I know they have one uh, here in Los Angeles. Um, that's like a you know Mattel shop, like a Mattel company store. Okay. Um, and I think it would be smart if those guys did something like that. Like if one of those companies was to jump in and and open up a kind of thing like that, I don't see why not. And I think they definitely have to move to at least opening an online shop for themselves if they're smart, because. 
Mm. Where like I don't know where to go to buy, you know, most of that stuff. Like I don't know like the only place to buy things like Imaginext or like those those brands like that were, you know, Toys R Us and Target. And mm-hmm. you know, Target never carried quite as many as as Toys R Us did. So it's like where do you go? Where do you get that stuff? So unless the, everybody starts opening and I know Mattel had tested the waters with their Maddie Collector Club, um maybe that was, you know, maybe that's something they can turn into their whole store where they could sell everything out of direct, but they're going to have to, they're going to, they're all going to have to figure out something quick. Yeah. I wonder what's happening to all the, uh, the actual locations, like the actual spaces themselves. Cause they're pretty, it's a pretty big kind of warehouse sized, you know, locations. So I'm sure they're all turned into Walmarts, Walmarts and home <laughs> depots and, uh, Marshall's and, and Michael's. And yeah. All that yeah. big box store stuff. I want them to become VR VR uh, rooms or something. You know? yeah. <laughs> That'd be hey, awesome. You never know. It could totally go that way. And that's what they should have done in the first place. Made it an experience that people actually wanted to go to. You know, parents, they want to go take their kids to Target and Walmart because they could also pick up their dishwashing detergent as well as the toys at the same time. Like very rarely, you know, even as a parent myself, did I take my kids to – to Toys R Us. Usually I would just go alone because I didn't want to take my kids there because one, the prices were a little higher than the, the other big box stores. But uh, anyone who has kids, it's it's not the easiest place. It's, it's kind of a stressful uh, time when you have a kid in a, in a big toy store like that. So I always kind of avoided taking my kids there. That's, which is funny because that was the whole point of Toys R Us in the beginning was it was supposed to be an experience to take your kids to this grand place where they can see and play and touch and <laughs> And experience the toys, and then yeah. it turned into a place where you didn't want to take your kid because then all they'd want to do is touch all the toys and have them. <laughs> well, I always kind of a backfire. I always wish what the well, I, they probably couldn't have done it. But anyone who's been to the the Toys R Us store in Times Square, I mean, that was an experience. That was oh uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah. You know, giant life size, you know. T, you know, T-Rexes and Superman holding up the, the world and three stories with the candy store and all that. But, you know, the local sources did not nearly have that much appeal as, say, the Times Square one. Yeah, I think what should actually happen is that uh, kids should only get toys once a year and it should be all the kids in all the towns should only get toys once a year. Kind of like a, you know, so you, you just, nobody gets any toys except on one particular day, like a, <laughs> like a Christmas and then they open up a special store and that's, you know, that's when all the kids get their toys and then it closes down and there's no more toys for no one else until that, you know, that day arrives again. It's kind of like you'd appreciate toys more, right? Because right now there's too too easy access to everything, I think. I, I don't want to live in your world, Nathan. I know. It's a sinister <laughs> world, Nathan. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, it's a terrible world. But just, just think how special things would be if we, if we had more you know, limited access to things, you know, um, uh, but it, but then you would, you'd, you know, it'd be like, uh, like Willie, you know, when Willy Wonka opens up his, um, chocolate factory for that, yes. you, know, you know, yeah, it would, it'd be exciting. You know, you, it would become an event because now like, you know, people, um, everything's so, uh, like instant and easy access. Um, sometimes it makes it less, um, you less appreciate things, you know, it's like, um, you know, I remember getting my first computer and it was like amazing. And now, you know, a new update comes out every six months and it just yeah. doesn't feel good. So uh, that's me. That's me just wanting things special again. Well, I love the idea of the pop-up shops and that kind of always creates that, that hype. You had to buy it now because it's, the shop's probably not going to be here next week or you're not going to be able to get it. But I also like the idea of the just going grand. It's like, like Funko at their headquarters. They started opening up a big, 
store on the ground level, and it looks like it's the best toy store I've ever seen. Just all the decorations and the decor and all the different worlds and themes they have going on. And, you know, there's people that, you know, so the Funko headquarters is like probably about an hour drive from Seattle, but people who are landing there and have like significant layovers are actually renting cars and driving there just for the experience. And while you're there, of course, you're going to, you know, pick up a a few things of memorabilia. So I think that's probably where Toys R Us went wrong as far as, and it doesn't sound like they ever competed um, on the internet as well. It just sounds like the ToysRS.com. It was never really like the place that parents and other toy buyers ever went to. Well, their prices were always higher than everywhere else. Yeah. I mean, that's the number one thing. It's like, guys, your prices everywhere are high. Your prices are higher than everywhere. Like, why are we, why should we go here? Yeah, yeah, you almost want, like, you know, if I'm going to pay a higher price, give me an extra experience while I'm here. And that's that's why I'd pay the extra price. If I had to pay an extra few dollars for something, and but I got, you know, I don't know, a, you know, a mini adventure while I was there or, you know, the, you know while I was there, was a, there was a lounge for, you know, adults to sit and you got free tea and coffee. And a, <laughs> yeah. uh, whatever. I don't know, just something that kind of felt like it was good being there. Then you would, you pay, you pay premiums for, for extra things and that's why like say the you know there was a crisis with the the whole cinema you know film industry with um cinemas um and you know home cinema as well mm-hmm. so you know it's like well how do you make that more interesting you know, you've got to create a better experience for people who go to the the movies so you know why not you know give them you know the ability to have food and, and alcohol you know while they're watching you know, yeah, cinema, you know? Oh, totally. I'm totally on board with paying more for that sort of experience. And I, I've been going back to the cinema because they have those recliner chairs and it feels more private and you're not seeing all the jackasses on their phones and everything. So, yeah, I mean, I think Toys R Us totally, I don't, yeah, they're wrong. I mean, they just, they didn't go big and grand like they, they really should have. And the parents just didn't want to go to the store. I mean, if, had they, well, you know what? So, like, I don't know, here in Phoenix, like a lot of, even the fast food places are all kind of joining forces to help make probably pay on rent space. Like you'll see a McDonald's and a gas station or there's a place around us is a KFC combined with a, a Taco Bell at the same location. So, I mean, maybe Toys R Us should have done something like that. They could have joined in with, uh, collaborated with uh, the local trampoline place or we have tons of play places where parents are dropping their kids off or spending all day to uh, just a fun place for kids, so they could have done something like that, where you had to walk through the the Toys R Us to get to the, uh, you know, the the fun place, or maybe connect a, you know, uh, everyone likes getting their car washed. Kids love car washes. How about connecting it to a car washing and shop for toys while you wait for your car? Yeah, and maybe your car's being washed by you know a giant person in a in a giraffe in a... outfit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, moving on, so there's two conventions coming up this actual weekend. So we got ToyCon UK and the Shanghai Toy Show happening this weekend. Have you guys seen any releases or any any cool things for those shows? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know George hasn't. I have been completely just in work mode these last couple of weeks, so I have not seen anything online at all, really. Did you know those shows were coming up? I had no idea anything was about. I had no. I had no idea. All I know is the thing I'm working on, and that's it right now. Oh, George. Well, let me inform you then. So this weekend is going to be two toy event uh, events. There's ToyCon UK going on, and there's also going to be uh, STS, which is Shanghai Toy Show, and that event looks like a lot of people are going to see a lot of great releases for that 
event. And one thing that I did see was um, by Pucky. It's an artist named Pucky. And it's a new blind box series called Pool Babies. It's being produced by Pop Mart. And basically what the, it is, it's just like all these really uh, creative and unique designs of kids wearing like these very fun and creative uh, pool floaties. I like them a lot. So that was something that caught my eye. That's going to be at the STS this weekend. Yeah, I actually like the look of that. They sort of, they feel those these pucky pool babies sort of um, have a almost like an old school kind of yeah, and a cupy doll mixed with something else, you know, vibe about them. Um, you know, and the faces are interesting because there's not a lot of expression in the faces, but yeah, it works with all the different outfits. Um, uh, I like it. It's uh, it feels like the, the old the old collectibles used to get in kind of a lot of the Japanese um, you know, sort of uh, machines that you put cash in and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the color palette on the pool baby is excellent. I mean, Pucky, I don't know. I think she's gonna have an amazing 2018. I mean, so far she's off to a great start. But I think I first started seeing her work maybe a couple of years ago when Unbox was helping her produce some toys, and if they're kind of along that same line, but. Um, she's got some great releases for STS this weekend and uh, very excited about that. But uh, another artist that has, seems to have a, a slew of releases going on at um, Shanghai Toy Show this weekend is Ka Sing Lung. A lot of his monster series are going to be... Are, are you familiar with Ka Sing Lung at all, Nathan? Uh, yeah, uh, I've seen I've seen the, um, uh, the, the faces before. Like, I recognize the, the faces. Um, I haven't seen the... Um, the actual objects, um, like the full characters, the full but I reckon, yeah, the full toys. But I, I recognise the sort of this signature kind of, you know, mouth and eye type thing that um, this artist tends to do. Um, and it's uh, yeah, it's that weird kind of, um, it's almost like a like a crazy elongated grin with these sort of yeah, um, I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. George likes it when I say Labubu. That's the main character. And so he's got a monster series. He was working with a company called uh, How to Work, and they're going to be bringing tons of new stuff to um, the Shanghai Toy Show. But a lot of them are going to be um, based on the Labubu character, but it looks like there's a new um, version. I don't know if it's a new version of Labubu, but they're calling it Zimomo. But it looks like just a new version, uh, a newer, cuter, more simplified version of his main Lububu character, but um, there's going to be other new colorways, um, but also they're going to have wind-up toys and vinyl finger puppets of his monster series and all that stuff. So, But we're never going to be able to get those things. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but Kossing Long, he's he's the guy at these conventions that there's lines around the convention. Everyone's waiting to get his stuff. So it's going to be nearly impossible to get out in the aftermarket unless you pay significant prices. I like the wind-up. Ones. Uh, I thought they were kind of. It's nice, nice to see some more wind-up toys. Uh, you know, because I remember being involved with uh, um, Toy Tokyo doing some wind-ups, um, and it's, it seems like it's not a very hasn't been a very popular thing to release in the um, in kind of the whole you know uh, designer toy world. But it's cool mm-hmm. kind of to see that this guy's um, you know releasing. Um, some wind-ups as well. Yeah, I like when people try something different. It almost doesn't, the medium doesn't really matter to me as long as it still has like that toy aesthetic. So I still collect like wind-up toys and finger puppets and wooden pool toys and uh, even like tin toys when David Horvath was designing like tin toys and all that sort of stuff. So I have a bunch of like just different sort of things. And so when you were designing the, the wind-up toys, those are the Palata Owls too, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was uh, in 2006, I think. Yeah. Okay. George, are you looking up stuff that's releasing at the conventions now? Uh, no, I wasn't. 
I was just I was, I was listening to you say a bunch of baby words. <laughs> La boo boo. <laughs> so it's kind of strange. So we were definitely hitting um, toy convention season. So it's a little weird that there's two significant toy conventions this weekend: um, ToyCon UK, Shanghai Toy Show. And I didn't. I don't mention some stuff that I like at uh, the Shanghai Toy Show, but I didn't mention anything that I'm seeing at uh, ToyCon. But no, there's definitely lots of great releases going to ToyCon UK. One thing that pops into my head is. They've uh, taken their toy connoisseurs toy um, and made it larger. So anyone who's gone to previous conventions probably picked that up. I think it was probably probably about a five inch figure before, and they've upscaled it to now a ten inch size, which is really awesome. So anyone who has like a minifigure series, that larger ten inch scale of the toy connoisseurs is gonna really look like the the T Rex toys. Is gonna be crushing your minifigures. So I like the idea of them upscaling that. So congrats to uh, ToyCon and. Um, unbox for making that happen. Um, also, there's another store called uh, Cory Cory. There is distributor and store out there in um, the UK, and they're going to be bringing lots of unique goodies. One thing that I saw that they're bringing is some really cool Konatsuya toys, and one of them happened to be a new series that she's doing called Wonder Vehicles, which is essentially like animals riding these cool little cars or crafts, like a fox riding like a cool creative fox car or a cat driving like a fish car and stuff like that. I've always been a big fan of um, characters driving toy cars. I, it's always just kind of sort of appealed to me. Like uh, a few years back, I bought the space cars, but also um, Kelonatsuya. Those are some of my favorite pieces in my collection. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I have a soft spot in my heart for uh, characters driving car toys. and um, Yeah, yeah, I love that as well. Yeah, I don't know. I think it relates to my childhood a little bit. I used to love um, the Hanna-Barbera wacky races and just, I don't know, something about a big giant character in a tiny car is funny to me. It's just kind of very cartoonish. And so when I see it in toy form, I usually tend to gravitate you know, to liking that sort of stuff. But um, also at ToyCon UK, Instinct Toy is going to be there for the first time. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, a really big international uh, vendor is going to be there. And um uh, oh, speaking of uh, Instinct Toy and conventions, so Five Points Fest is coming up. It's going to be the weekend of June 2nd and 3rd. Uh, Instinct Toy is going to be there, but this year they're also providing the exclusive toy for the VIP badge, and that toy is going to be a, a mini Erosion Molly toy. It's a collaboration between Kenny's work and uh, Instinct Toy. So usually that toy sold out, and you normally can't get it. extremely hard to get. So if you do buy a VIP, uh, VIP pass, there's 300 VIP passes available. You will be guaranteed a uh, mini Erosion Molly, so that's pretty cool. Um, the VIP pass is $125, but it's a pretty good value considering you get gets you into the uh, Designer Toy Awards. That's the only way to get into Designer Toy Wars. You get early access both days, Saturday and Sunday, to the events. You get access to the um, Saturday night after party for the Five Points Fest, which is, that's a $30 value. So um, I know Saturday passes are already sold out, so don't wait. Actually, I bought my VIP pass uh, last weekend, so I'm good. I was just going to say, are you going to get it? Because you love the Mollies, right? Um, You know what's the funny thing is? I used to love Molly. It's just done by Kenny's work. Uh, it was one of my favorite figures, but now, um, I still like Molly, but it's almost become like a Barbie figure at this point. It's just become like the, the dress up doll. It's just like almost a platform and it's just constantly wearing new outfits and all the new series. Like here's the Egyptian and the, you know, here's her wearing a rabbit. And there's a new one. I saw a, a prototype of this morning. It's going to be her wearing the Harley Quinn outfit. So I think in that sense, I'm kind of not as into Molly as I used to be, but I like it when it's still in a, like a, more of a a unique 
art toy formation, like what Unbox has done with the Mollies or um, Instinct Toy has done with it. So in that regard, yeah. So I, I, I instantly I knew these things would probably sell out. I knew I wanted to go to the Designer Toy Awards. So I figured, hey, I'm going to just go ahead and bite the bullet and, and uh, bought the tickets. I booked my, my hotel, my flight, so everything's all set. I'll be at five points. Nice. See you guys there? Nope. Uh, no, <laughs> you won't see me there. And I'm so glad you're talking about uh, – when you're saying Molly, uh, at first I was like, uh, you meant the drug. but <laughs> No, 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 no. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I was like, Molly's Molly. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> no. You, can cut that. you don't need to put, put that into the uh... – <laughs> Oh, I'm leaving that in. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, that was I, – I used to collect a lot of the Mollies, which just became that figure that's just – there's so many of them and they're kind of so hard to get because mainly they're overseas and stuff that it was just one of those things that I had to stop collecting. And that's kind of how I was when I first started toy collecting. I started out getting the um, the Spawn toys and then I got into Simpsons and I bought like the first two or three series of, of the Simpsons and then it just got – I realized how ridiculous, ridiculous it was going to get. So I got out early. I mean I, I cut the cord at – at three series, but oh, speaking of Spawn series, like that was like one of the only places you were able to get Spawn toys was at something like Toys R Us. You were never going to see those at a, a Walmart or a Target or something like that. So that's again where we're going to be missing the Toys R Us. We're, we're going to be missing all those sort of toys that just doesn't fit into the big box stores. Yeah, what's going to happen? Like NECA, where where's all the NECA stuff going to go? <sighs> just comic book shops, I guess. That's awful. Yeah, you're just going to have to order it through the, the Diamond previews and just have your local comic shop order this stuff for you, I guess. I'll get it all through 3D Retro. <laughs> so, Nathan, what do you got coming out as far as toys? I think last time we talked to you, you were talking about maybe having a resin figure that you're going to self-produce. You said mentioned something that was maybe going to be like a cat-like figure. Yeah, I was actually um, uh, still in sort of discussions uh, on that. But what we do have coming out is uh, um, a new blister figure, Blister the Octopus. So that actually comes out, I think, next month, or maybe it's the end of next month, or it might be the start of May. And it's a really chunky um, yeah, vinyl kind of psychedelic version of Blister the Octopus. Um, and that's going to be offered from a couple of places. One will be um, from Kid Robot, and the other one will be from a place called Secret Fresh in um, Manila. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, they're just limited runs, and they're two exclusive colorways that are for those two locations. There'll be a few just very limited ones in the original colorways that I designed, and um, I'm hoping that uh, down the line I can do a, another version for a, for a company that I'm uh, working with uh, later this year. Wow. Yeah, I remember seeing those. I don't know. It was probably I feel like a year ago I probably saw them, but they were real poppy colors, psychedelic, almost like punk colors. Yeah, those were awesome. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's great. I, we haven't done a, a, a figure of um, Blister the Octopus for years and years and years, and um, the actual uh, production company uh, Gums Productions. Yeah, they actually Benny originally worked on the original uh, Octopus back in um, two thousand and three. Oh, cool. Uh, with Flying Cat, so he was actually at that uh, company way back in the day, and so he was really looking forward to actually making a, a new version of, with his own company. Wow, it's been a long time since I've heard the name Flying Cat. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think I think they stopped existing around what two thousand and six or seven, maybe. Um, 
so yeah, it's been been a long time since I yeah since I worked with them. We had a a good long uh, partnership. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. And then so the scary girl, you, we mentioned that there's going to be an animated feature film coming out, and you said it's still in the early contracting stages. But is there sort of a forethought into marketing as to doing scary girl toys up until the release of the film? Uh, we're actually uh, right now we're in the early days of putting together a um, like an articulated scary girl figure, um, but it'll be a really limited sort of high-end figure that will you know will have real clothes and will be you know fully articulated probably not exactly sure of the height but it will um we're just working on that right now so that will be kind of one thing that will be released probably later this year nathan i can't afford that stuff that sounds expensive yeah it is i think it's one of those you know it's one of those ones where it's like um it's with a company that does a lot of um like fashion type dolls so they get you know you know, whatever Louis Vuitton asked them to do a, you know, a dress on their body sort of thing. So, wow. Um, yeah. So they're going to, uh, I think hopefully towards the end of the year be made, but right now I'm working on a, um, like a scary goal virtual reality game. And, uh, it's actually a, a game that's uh, free roam. So it's not, it's not a single player, but, uh, a multiplayer that you run around the size of a tennis court playing a, a virtual world, uh, where you can, you know, walk into, scary girl's treehouse you can you know go into the forest you can meet the tree of knowledge and stop the maybe so it's a yeah it's a full-on full-on game so that comes out at the end of the year so we're trying to tie a few things uh, a couple of um uh, toys with that game wow that sounds and, amazing yeah so hopefully hopefully it all comes together nicely but it's looking it's looking really really good right now on and uh yeah we've been doing a lot of four in the morning late nights just trying to get this um first prototype happening and uh then we've got a, probably another four to five months of uh work to finish the game jeez now how does this release then so you said a room but can you also do the is it the type of vr that you can download for your phone and play it that way too well this is free roam so it's actually it, you need actually a, a physical location so there'll be okay multiple locations around the world that you actually pay to go into an experience so it's like a 20 minute kind of experience where you will uh, go in there's a there's a bunch of them in vegas right now there's um i think uh, a few in la there's a there's a few in toronto where i'm from and uh it's it's a really immersive experience there's no wires it's a it's actually on your, your back the um the computer is actually on your back in a backpack it's all kind of haptic so you feel if something hits you, you actually feel it um, vibrating in your body. Um, cool. It's a full immersive 360 experience. So it's really amazing to test because, you know, you can walk around and it, it actually feels like you're there. So we've been testing the tree of knowledge right now and it's, it's really impressive. It kind of, you forget that you're, um, you're not in the real world. That's ex- yeah, exactly how it should be. I like watching videos of the people doing these type yeah. of things, just walking yeah. around looking like fools. Yeah, exactly. That's the <laughs> that's the best bit, um, and we're probably going to try and create that as an experience for people as well. So you kind of have an, almost like an arena experience where you get to watch people run around an empty space, but you know because it's a lot of gameplay as well, they're going to be doing all sorts of weird stuff, and uh, I think it will be entertaining for audiences to watch as well. Sweet, you get the best projects, Nathan. Well, Gary, there's uh, there's one out here. So when you come out for DesignerCon this year. You'll be able to do the um, the Star Wars one. It's right at Downtown Disney, right next to where uh, DesignerCon will be. Nice. I don't care about Star Wars, but I'll still do it. No, it's still a cool. It's still a cool thing, though. You run around as a stormtrooper, and like it seems seems pretty awesome. Now, how much does something like that run? It's, it's either twenty or thirty bucks, something in there. 
Oh. Yeah, it depends how long the uh, the length of it is. There's one one in Toronto that's a Ghostbusters one. Um, that one I, I want to play. Yeah, it's actually really it's really interesting because they also have extra sensory things. So um, a little bit of wet mist gets shot at you. So when um, you know a ghost goes through your body, you kind of get a bit of a, a mist over you. Oh, um, cool. That's yeah. cool. It's it's a very very interesting experience, and it it tries to follow kind of parts of the the original movie and uh yeah, that was the first one i ever experienced and it was it was a good sort of initial ex, um try out for the the big thing that we're doing now how does it work for us nerds with glasses does it yep, still yeah. work yep you can just slot it over your glasses yeah that's good yeah it's just headsets that, um it's almost like a be like an oculus rift or some sort of um branded headset that just goes over your glasses I've only ever tried the like cheap little ones that people have like for their phone and stuff, and it sucks putting them over glasses. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The good thing about this is that it's not like Gear VR where you you attach a phone to the end of your um headset. Uh, this is run through a computer that's on your back, so the the quality of the graphics is amazing, and um, you don't get the same kind of heat on your eyes because you you know phones heat up if you have them too close to your face. So this is a very 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 different experience. I'm looking forward to it. I'll I'll drop thirty forty bucks on that. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, I hope, hope it all comes together. It, it's looking good so far, so crossing my fingers. And with the one that you're developing, is that would that be something that they would take around everywhere? Or where, like, is it something local to you, or where is that? Yeah, it's everywhere. So what, what it will be is it's, um, you, you tend to license it. So if a, a company may have, say, you know, 30 or 40 locations around the world, and then it runs for three, four, five months in that location, then um, you know it may go to a different location. But you can actually have forty locations at once running these these things. So you know there'll probably be you know one in LA and one in Vegas and maybe you know a few in China and you know they'll all be able to experience this scary girl VR free run that's, game. It's kind of cool because like all they really need is an empty room to run it, right? I mean, <laughs> besides all the equipment and computers and stuff, they're not building like themed rooms for this kind of right it's more just like everything's yeah, exactly. built in the game so yeah some some vr games uh, some vr free, free roam will actually have physical objects in the room but we don't want to have that and a lot of games are also not having that so essentially it's just like an empty tennis you know slightly smaller than a tennis court space and it just has sensors all around the room and then you've got backpacks and headsets and you're running around in that space <laughs> you know you could be you all you need is really just a, a big warehouse and expensive equipment how do you do you have any kind of uh background in this kind of thing like in this just in just generating computer graphics or anything like that or what is your what is your input on on creating this are you just doing the design work and someone else is taking that and translating it or how's that work yeah, I mean, I've had experience in in uh, creating games in the past um, on a uh, kind of a, a, I suppose, a game design level. Um, okay. So, and obviously, I work in you know directing and designing for animation. So, my role is sort of art directing, but also you know planning out potential gameplay for it. So, it's really fun. But obviously, you know, I can't I can't program a, a VR game, and it's all done in a in Unreal Engine as well. So, there's a, a lot of specialists involved in you know, modeling up the environments and it has to be done in a particular way for the Unreal Engine and for VR um, oh, okay. to work. So I've had a bit of, ex yeah, you know, a bit of experience, you know, with Xbox and PlayStation games and um, in various handheld uh, games, but not on this scale. So it's a, it's really, it's a really great thing to do. And it's so good for designing as well. I love laying out scenes because you can actually, you go into the scene and you can walk around the scene and go, oh yeah, let's, 
let's put an object here, you know, um, or move it over an inch. Um, it looks better, you know, this way. And you're doing that actually in the scene. So it's just, it's a really great way. And I can see that would be useful for, you know, even designing toys, for designing large scale, you know, objects and, and, you know, architecture and everything, you know, walking through it, you know, mm -hmm. spinning around, you know, you could have a virtual glass blowing studio where you get to experience it all without, you know, burning yourself to a cinder. <laughs> well, and the nice thing about having your world, if, if a company is like licensing, you know, your world to take into a thing and it's in Vegas and it's a thing. And, and the, the best thing is when you walk out, you got a gift shop and then you have all your products that are characters from that world that just walked in and they can buy it and take it home. Like that's the greatest part of it. Exactly. And this is sort of leading into kind of, I suppose, maybe what I was kind of hinting, or not hinting at, but alluding to with um, experiences with uh, Toys R Us is that, you know, you could actually have a Toys R Us that existed, but, you know, you go through an experience first, you come out the other side, you've got your your amazing toy store at the end of it. Um, but it feel, it doesn't feel like just a, a normal gift shop. It feels like it's, it's, it's sort of part of the event or I've experienced something that now I want to have something in this uh, in this store. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe we set this up as the, uh, well, not me, but maybe, George, you can talk to Ben and you can have this be like the, the entrance to DesignerCon. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, or there's just a VR section in DesignerCon? Yeah, or something like that. Why not? Give it another year. Give it another year. I mean, it'd be very easy to create something where you actually have a, just a toy room. You know, you uh, it's just a whole you know, play, play area that you can test out all the toys in VR and you can, you know, um, it, and can, you know, cause scale doesn't matter, um, or anything. And you could actually walk around, you know, drive a car, you know, play around with toys and then, mm -hmm. you know, you have the experience and there you can actually buy the real thing. Yeah. Have you ever played around? I can't think of the name of the program right now, but there's a, there's a program out there where you can actually paint and create inside a virtual reality environment. I've, you know, I was researching this for work and I watched tons of YouTube videos on it. It looks really cool. Like, you know, there's a woman, she was like tagging walls in her house, but it was all virtual reality, but she was standing on like a, a six foot ladder going all the way to her ceilings and just working in a, an environment. Have you ever worked in a program like, like that where you worked actually painting and creating in the virtual reality environment? Yeah, there's a, there's a one that I was using tilt brush. Tilt brush. Um, that's the one. Yep. Yep. And it's a great, I mean, I've only just dabbled with it, so I haven't really gone into a detail, but it's it's a very, very interesting uh, program to, you know, you kind of, you know, you can do sort of spray paint and, you know, it looks 2D and then you walk around and you go, oh, I can actually keep creating, you know, depth and dimension to this yeah. uh, thing. You can kind of sculpt, sculpt an art piece in this, in the real world and, and see from all different angles and. Uh, there's multiple brushes and all sorts of stuff. It's really great. You can there's a, there's even uh, you can even animate, um, you know, create animate animated uh, short films and stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it was uh, on Brand Peter's Facebook account. He was saying that really a lot of creatives really need to get in on you know not only ZBrush but like more in touch with what's going on in virtual reality because he was saying that's what's going to become the you know the future of creatives. Like back when. You know, when Photoshop first came out, everyone was like, oh, Photoshop, that's not going to take over. But, you know, it did. Essentially, you know, a lot of the kids growing up today, they're all kind of working a, a digital world and all that sort of stuff. So who knows? Maybe, you know, VR is going to become the next thing. I think, you know, right now it's just in the beginning stages. But with how fast the technology is advancing today, I mean, who knows what the creative landscape is going to look like in 10, 20 years from now? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, you know, there's links to, you know, what we do with, you know, with toys and VR, there's, um, you know, 
there's just a lot of enjoying enjoyable experiences working um in vr and also um augmented reality and the possibilities are endless right now and if you're doing things like you know working in animation um or you know you like kind of directing films i think it's another it's just another platform to um showcase your work as well yeah when was the last time you were at a toy convention nathan uh yeah that's it's <laughs> a good uh <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think I was, the last time I was there, um, I was releasing the Monkey King. So it was probably the last toy convention was uh, San Diego Comic Con 2000 and, uh, 2008, I think. Holy moly, almost seven and a half years ago? Yeah, yeah, it was a long time ago. Because I remember I did a, I released the Monkey King with the company Monkey King. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, then doing another signing in at the Monkey King store in LA, and I think that's where um, that where Robert Williams came that time because he was obsessed with the Monkey King. And uh, um, yeah, I think I remember it was a really, really um, memorable experience mm-hmm. um, to have him there and be a fan of the the Monkey King. Yeah. So why the hiatus? Why been so long between uh, doing a convention? Uh, I don't know. Actually, that's a it's a good question. I. Maybe, I don't know why, maybe I hadn't seen the need for it for myself, but when I think about it, it you know, I've had so many releases, I, I you would think that I should do it, but I've done more sort of in-store signings, um, less conventions, more mm-hmm. uh, stores, but it would make sense maybe to the next convention would be to either maybe launch a, you know, like a the VR game, maybe. It could be a, a potential thing where we uh, are given a space to um, you know, showcase the game uh, yeah. at the convention. But yeah, I'd like to go back. I uh, I'd love to go actually to one of the ones like you know uh, Shanghai or um, you know one of the more uh, international ones. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. I wish I could afford it, so I, I I stick to the local conventions. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, I mean, I've been to the you know the New York Comic Con. I've been to San Diego Comic Con. But you know, I'd, I'd even like to see what the uh, uh, the Comic Con in uh, the UK is like. Uh, it seems like it's small, but what fairly dedicated group of people. Yeah, it's just a really dedicated, more focused on designer toys. It seems like there's a lot of uh, a lot of customizers out there doing the work. But you, I mean, you should definitely check out. You checked out like the more pop culture conventions or comic conventions. You should really check out like a a designer con or a Five Points or something sometime. Something that's a little more focused on design and toys and stuff like that and not have to deal with all the mess and fuss of the crowds for all the pop culture stuff. Yeah, I'd like to do that. I mean, I've, I mean, I've visited the Toronto Comics Art Festival a couple of times in recent years, but it's a different, it's a different type of, um, you know, vibe. It doesn't, it's not really a toy. Sure. Well, yeah. well, hopefully we can get you to break the hiatus and we'll, we'll bump into each other at convention someday. Cool. Um, I'm, I may have to, uh, get back to the, um, to the, the group? group okay yeah they've all come back and they're all kind of uh now asking hey you know you gonna help us? <laughs> well are they bringing you back food that's the important question yeah i think so i hope so Good. uh they were they were meant to because they had my credit card so uh <laughs> let's wait and see okay. what happens well thanks for joining i will let you get back to work thanks so much for that see you guys all right take care nathan thanks nathan bye see ya um so that was awesome nathan coming on enjoying on such short notice i mean it seems like such a a busy guy with so many projects going on, yet he's been on the show twice and been able to make time and a very short notice and come in on and chat with us. So that's awesome. I very much appreciate that. And uh, and George, you've been busy too, and it's been a couple of weeks since you've been on, and you weren't on the last episode. So 
Uh, how's the wedding planning going? Uh, good. It's, uh, you know, moving along. You got a date set yet? Oh, yeah. 81818. 81818. Oh, that's easy to remember. Yep. Can you uh, rent out a VR machine for your event? I mean, now I want to after all that talk. That was <laughs> that was amazing. I, it's so cool to see someone in our... I mean, I know Nathan's outside more more than just our scene, but someone in our scene like taking over and doing something like that, that's going to be really cool. That's going to be awesome. I mean, to experience Nathan's world... Uh, in a virtual reality environment. I mean, that's going to be really, really cool. I'm excited for him. And, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned, like, he's kind of, like, outside the toy scene. But one thing I do do enjoy about the designer toy scene is is watching these people kind of explode outside of our little toy scene. Like, you know, um, I mean, something that popped to mind, I guess, would be um, Ugly Doll Brand. was started out at San Diego Comic-Con, just little hand-sewn plushes by... David Horvath and Sunmin Kim. And, and look at that brand now. I mean, it's huge. And, yeah. you know, I think it's next summer. They're going to have an animated feature film done with the Ugly Doll. So it's only going to get bigger. And um, Simone and Legno's Tokidoki. I mean, that brand has exploded. I mean, they're getting shops and all sorts of deals seem to be in the works for Tokidoki. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to hear about a feature film with his brand. And, um, and I mean, look, even, I mean, when you, if you think about it, even Funko. Yeah. Yeah. They were just I mean, a, they were a just a little, little company booth. at the end of the, you know, at the, in the end of the aisle at San yeah. Diego that were two for one or three for one on Sunday. And yep. now look at them. Yeah, now look at them. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. It's just, you know, I think the company was bought out and then after when the new owner took over, he just really knew what to do with the company. And it just, they got one, you know, great design with the, with the pop figure. I don't remember which license they started out with. I think it was DC or something like that. But man, it just took off and they ran with it. And now look at them. Yeah, so I mean, it's there's been there's definitely been some success stories in this scene, for sure. Yeah, no, I'm totally for sure. I mean, it's, and there's people that we're definitely forgetting too. I don't know, like recently we heard about Leslie Leving's Beastly's brand. I mean, it's been in the works for several years, but it sounds like now she's got a big toy deal going on and something in the works, like an, something animated in the works going on with uh, Bad Robot. So, yeah, I mean, lots of people. You know, it's it's fun to see watching people grow and expand and. And explode outside the designer toy stream and hit mainstream. And um, oh, also, you know, with Nathan, we were talking about the VR. So, um, you know, I mentioned Brant Peters. It seems like he's knowledgeable in that area. And I know he started a full time job at a, a company out there in New Mexico called Meow Wolf. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about Meow Wolf, but I know it's like a all encompassing immersive experience when you go there. And I know they have virtual reality and it's just a, you know, crazy world created inside. I've seen people on social media climbing through like a dryers to enter into this, another, you know, world. And it sounds really cool. And I think they might be branching out and having a, um, a future space out there in California too, George. I, I, I have no idea. I've never heard of that, but that doesn't mean anything. I don't hear of a lot of things. <laughs> I mean, I'm certainly no expert on it either. I, I had never heard of Meow Wolf before I saw Brant, um, posting it on his Facebook page, and now he's working there full time. So, congrats, Brandon, if you're listening. Um, but yeah, it sounds like it's just a cool. I think it started out as a collective of creatives, and then uh, over time, and now they're about 150 to 200 uh, employee or creative strong and creating these awesome environments. And I believe it was uh, Game of Thrones author George R. R. Martin. Somehow he was convinced to buy them like a, a defunct bowling alley space, and that's what they're operating now and uh, out of now. and um, it sounds like it's become a popular destination out there in Santa Fe and it sounds like they're dabbling in virtual reality and just making a really cool, um, art exhibit, uh, fully immersive experience out there. 
That's really cool. And I think we're gonna have we're gonna have to do that VR experience when you get out here because it's uh I think it's called like Void or something like that. It, it's uh you can look it up. It's just look up like Star Wars Void. I think that's what it's called. It's in downtown Disney. They had one in Florida. Uh, yeah, in Florida too when we were out there in January, and uh, we just I think we. We were going to go to it, but we didn't have the time or something happened where we didn't end up going to it. But they have one here. So I think I, I definitely have to see it now. I definitely want to go. So you haven't done it yet? No, no, I haven't done it. I've just heard like stories about it and seen like the I, I went into the lobby to, to look, you know, to see what it was like when I was in Florida. But we didn't uh, we didn't get a chance to actually go in. What What are the lines like, though? I mean, is it is it like a typical a Disney ride where you're waiting no, they recommend you buy your ticket online ahead of time okay. um, so, that you, so that you go because you basically go at a certain time and you have a time slot. But if you just go there, you just buy your ticket for whatever time, you know, later on. Oh, nice. Well, then maybe I will do that. But, you know, buy a little time slot before I head out to DesignerCon and do that for like a an hour one evening. Yeah. And it's really cool looking. I mean, I think uh, Carlos and his girlfriend went uh, and they did it. Carlos and Daniela went and did it. And they said it was like Carlos said it was amazing. He said that. He would like he would reach out because you can uh, like Nathan was just saying, there's like a backpack that you wear. So the backpack is on the stormtrooper that when you so when you see the person standing in front of you, they look like a stormtrooper. And he said he was reaching out and touching and you can actually touch the backpack on the person in front of you because that's what they're wearing. And it's in the game that way. Oh, awesome. So it's modeled to look like that. And he said like you could reach out and touch the, the wall and there'd be like if there's a panel on the wall. They had built it so that in the room there was a panel on the wall, so you can actually reach out and touch it. I'm looking at photos now of people playing, and they're all like reaching and touching, and it looks cool. I, mean, I would imagine seeing it without the the, the stuff on just looks ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it, but it looks really well done. It almost looks like what I'm seeing now. I, I don't know where I am. StarWars.com. It has a five reasons why you'll love Secrets of the Empire, but. Uh, it almost reminds me of like a laser tag room, but we're like, you're yeah, wearing like yeah. a crazy headset, but the, it looks more golf. Kind of, you were talking about the goggles that you wear with like a, a VR system on your phone and those suck. It's the same thing when you go to a, when you're wearing glasses and you go to a 3d movie theater experience, you had to put the, the 3d glasses over your, your actual eyeglasses and it sucks, but this yeah, looks the worst. Yeah. This looks nothing like that. It looks much better. Awesome. Has Scott done this? I know sometimes being a a Disney employee, he gets to do these things on a a preview basis. He hadn't done it in January, and I haven't hung out with him yet again to see if he's done it yet. So I'm going to supposed to see him this weekend, so I'll ask him if he's done it yet. Okay, nice. And let me know how it is if you actually do it this weekend. Um, So, George, we did uh, our hotline ring this weekend, so we do have another message from uh, a caller. We have a phone number? We do. But what is our phone number? Um, we should probably put that in here. <laughs> yeah, we probably should. Oh, here it is. So, yeah, if you uh, are a listener and you want to call and leave us a message and hear your voice play back over the air, you can call 480-420-9823. Go ahead and leave as many messages as you like and just shoot me an email and let me know which one uh, you want played over the air. And we'll play the other one. <laughs> We're not that big of jerks. <laughs> So um, I guess without further ado, here's the message, and let's see if we can give him some advice. All right, let's hear it. Hey, this is uh, Eat More Toys, and here's my conundrum. I uh, have an artist commissioned to paint a very expensive toy. It's been over a year and a half. He is 
towards Terawet communicating or sending any pictures of work in progress. Should I just forget about this toy? I don't want to. I want it back. I want it finished. At this point, I just want it back. <sighs> Help. What is y'all's opinion? Oh, God. He sounds pretty distressed, George. He really does. <laughs> um, so did you understand all that? Yeah, uh, I think so. I, I know Eat More Toys. He's He was on Toy Break. He was, uh, you know, I've been, I've hung out with him in Georgia when we went down there to Dragon Con and I think on another trip. I can't remember which one, but yeah, we've, we've hung out. I know he did some shout outs that you're going to cut out, but that's okay. Like I know all those dudes. So shout out. He knows who they are. I shout right back out to him. Yeah. It sounds like he was shouting out the good guys he's had experiences with, I assume, right? Uh, these are all his buddies, his Atlanta buddies, like okay. people that are out there that they all hang out together. Um, there's a good group of all of those people. And, and, uh, I think I'm trying to think if all of them were there. I think all those guys he shouted that were not obviously talking about something that isn't in the podcast, but, um, there's a good shot of all of us at dinner out there. And it's, uh, it was a fun time hanging with those guys. They all bring toys. We all play with toys and eat to eat burgers and it was good times. Nice. Um, so yeah, his question was basically, what do you do when you give a, a toy to an artist to customize I see the one question I have for him is, did he pay for it? Was it paid ahead of time? So that was my question after I heard it. So I did reach out to him for some follow up on that. And he said, oh, nice. there was no like upfront money. There was no money exchange. He just communicated with the customizer, sent him what he said it was an expensive platform, I guess, to be customized. Um, but it's been a year and a half. He hasn't seen any work in progress. He can't seem to get any sort of communication back. And he's just kind of wondering what our advice be, would be for, you know, his situation. I mean, I, something like that, I would say if he didn't work something out ahead of time with the artist about a timeline. And I mean, this is the reason why, like it helps to have contracts and things like that. I know yeah. it, most people aren't going to get a contract to get a custom made, but it would be nice to have at least a, an email agreement or something where it's like, I'm going to give you, I'll send you this toy uh, I could send you this much up front, this much upon completion. Uh, hopefully the dates, you know, upon when you would expect to see something, you know, that kind of stuff could all be put out in, in an email to each other. That way everybody's on the same page because you don't know this guy's schedule. You don't know the artist. You know, he might have, you know, 20 commissions ahead of you and he just says, yeah, I'll take your commission. And you don't know, you know, you might not know how long it's going to take and you, you should kind of figure that stuff out ahead of time sounds like they didn't in this case and yeah. i would say if you're if you're in the point where you're getting hurt feelings against the artist that's going to ruin a relationship maybe it's time to say you know what let's just let's just kill this one i'll come back to you when you have some more time uh i would i would say offer to pay the shipping to get your piece back because the guy's not going to want to be out shipping you know he's not going to go he's not going to ship it back to you on his dime so you should you should pay the money to get it back to you or ask him about, you know, a deadline and when you could, you know, maybe you could pay something up front to start the process and bump your name up the list of commission or I, I would just recommend people get that stuff ahead of time, you know, get that, try and get it in writing ahead of time if you can. I totally agree because if you don't do any of that sort of um, timeline for maybe a set date for when you expect it back or at least maybe set dates of when you want to hope to see progress or it's especially the money up front. If you don't have any sort of terms, I think a lot of people are just going to kind of just keep putting it off. 
Uh, I know I've done that myself. I have a, a not a commission, but it's, it's you know, Catherine Park sent me a, a platform to uh, customize probably two years ago, and I, I, I haven't touched it, and I feel terrible, but that's just because we didn't have an agreement. There was no exchange of money. She was very kind. She said, just work on it when you have time, and, you know, other things just keep popping up, and that project gets just keep pushing back, pushing back, and that could be the same case in this scenario. So I would say definitely I, everything you said I would totally agree with. As far as if a customizer, if you send them something and they're just terrible communication, I don't know what you do in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, hopefully he can, you know, keep it private, reach out, you know, privately, and hopefully the guy will get back. But I mean, because you don't want to put them, you don't want to put them out. You don't want to shout them out on no, like social see. media or something. That like, he try and keep it private and just try and handle it. Maybe you, maybe you know one of his buddies and you can kind of like, hey, can you help me out? The kind of thing. But artists are artists, dude. Artists are the worst. And I'm in this category. I do the same thing. We will, <laughs> we will procrastinate. <laughs> For as long as we can possibly procrastinate until the deadline is on us. It's true. Um, it's just how it goes. There's always something else that's going to be there. There's, I mean, especially doing a, a custom piece where you're, there's no due date at all. Like, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be there for the rest of your life. <laughs> I have so many, I have so many things that I want to sculpt and work on that I will never do because I just don't have a, a reason to do them. That's a deadline, you know? Right. That's what it is, too. I mean, how many custom shows have come up where almost all the artists are posting on social media probably the two weeks or the week before that they're finally working on that project? And I think that's just, I don't know, we're all, I wouldn't say we're all procrastinators, but sometimes, you know, there's just other things that you want to work on first or whatever. And things No, we're all the worst. You could say it. <laughs> no, we're not all the worst, but sometimes if it's a project that you just don't necessarily want to work on, yeah, it's kind of a burden and just come, keeps on sitting on the back burner and you just and next thing you know, a year and a half has passed, two years, three years and you know, but I would hope at least the, you know, whoever's customizing would at least be a good a good communicator and say, "Hey, I can send it back to you. I don't know when I'm going to get it to it." I think that's probably the most important part. If, even if you failed to do the project, at least be for your business-wise and good word of mouth, at least you have a saving grace of just saying that you were at least good at communicating and being honest and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's, and it, and it's going to be hard to do that. I mean, you know, because it's like, Oh crap, I've been sitting on this for a year and a half. I feel like a douche. And it's, it's really a bit of an ego like slap that you got to like, you got to just suck it up though. As the artist <laughs> on his side, yeah. you just got to be like, all right, am I, you know, it's my fault. You know, I didn't, it's, you could blame the dude. Like, all right, you didn't give me a deadline you know, and just go that way. Or you can just be a brilliant man and be like, all right, you know, it's my fault. I didn't get to it. Let me give it back to you. Pay me for shipping. Yeah. I'll send it, I'll send it back. No hard feelings. I'm super sorry. Let's do this again next time. And I'll, and let's make a, you know, make some terms, you know? Yeah. And I think the worst thing you could do, you sort of touched on it is going to social media and blasting people. And maybe you can do it uh, without mentioning names. I've seen that before on Facebook and forums and stuff, but there have been instances where I've seen it on forums where someone's just is blasting someone's name and dragging them through the mud without all the other readers like paying attention and getting the full story and both sides of the story. You don't want to do that through social media. So definitely now, try, try to keep it private, I would say. Uh, now, I would say just keep it off Facebook until it until it's necessary like or social media just because – I hate those posts where people don't say what they're talking about. Like I hate when people like, if you're not going to if you're not going to name the name, then just shut up. But 
if it goes to the point where the dude gets back to him and is like, F you. Yeah. Okay. You know, and then it, or like if he's like, I'm not sending this back, like screw you or something like that. If it turns mean, then blast it. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I mean, if you got in your, if you're in an absolutely horrendous situation like that and you're ready to go and blast and do some mudsling on social media, I mean, I guess have at it. But before you do that, please just ensure that you've ex- exasperated every possible means of communication to resolve the, the issue privately. I would say the only time to take it to social media is when it's become such a bad situation that you want to make other artists or other galleries or other people aware of what's going on and to avoid this company or person altogether. I mean, that would be the only way to do it, but just understand that sometimes those type of threads, people are reading between the lines and if you're the one doing the mudsling and sometimes people that think you're also the ass as well. So sometimes both parties come across bad. So it's just something to, uh, to be cautious with. If you do take it to social media, I've, I've done it before. I've, and it just, I regret it every time. It just doesn't look good. Um, but yeah, no. Okay. I think we answered that question fairly decently. And peace out to the Atlanta crew. Miss you guys. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> Well, let's just go ahead and wrap this up then. So um, thanks to Nathan, or shout out to Nathan Yurevages for coming on. Very much appreciated. You're awesome. Uh, if you want to check out Nathan's work, you can follow him on Instagram. It's Nathan Yurevages. That's spelled Nathan, last name J-U-R-E-V-I-C-I-U-S. Um, otherwise, you can see his uh, Scary Girl brand at scarygirl.com. All right, well, George, where can people find you? Um, at Double G Toys on Instagram, and that's it for now. Okay, and I'm Gary Ham. You can find me at GaryHam.com or SuperHam.com. Uh, I don't think that we're going to start doing this every week. I'm sort of liking the every other week thing. We'll see. We'll, well see. I th- I know. I say that every time, don't I? I'm gonna. We're gonna. There's gonna be like. I'm gonna have some more time soon, maybe, and then like <laughs> I'll be able to get that game I keep promising. Yeah, are you working on that game? In my head. All right, we need to get it out of your head. I've forgotten so many questions already. Damn it, write that stuff down. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but I would love to get back to doing more games, just more fun stuff like that. I'm, I'll, I'll, I got some few ideas I can get in the works, but you know, we all got so busy all at the same time. A bunch of projects fell on my lap, and I probably have another week or two before I can kind of uh, thin the things out and get out of the woods on that one so and you guys have been super busy too it's just been hard for all all to kind of coordinate on a, a record time each week so um you know maybe in a week or two things will slow down we can get it back to going weekly again yeah i got we i was on two gigs at once and now i'm back down to one so i think that i think i'll be able to get normal schedules at least for you know for a little bit okay that's weird how we all got busy at the same time. I know Teresa was working on, I don't know exactly what she was working on, but she was pulling like 14, 16 hour days, getting home at midnight and stuff like that. So, and now she's got family in town. So maybe she'll be back next week. Let's hope. Yeah. Well, otherwise, you know, maybe we'll be back next week. Maybe we won't, uh, you know, our schedule is kind of up in the air at the moment. So who knows? I like the mystery of it. Everyone as, as tuning in, you'll just have to wait and see. Wait and see. All right, so until our next transmission, we're signing off. Bye. We do this every week, not because we have to, but because we want to. Well done, George. (laughs) So fluid. I don't want to grow up, but my toys are asking.
Toys R Us that I could play with From bikes and trains to video games It was the biggest toy store there is I don't want to grow up Because if I did I wouldn't be I still wanna be a toy